and a point for them to raise that or is it a done deal by the time Trevor Manuel um, it's actually the opportunity for proper engagement is actually after the tabling of the <laughs> Cause I gotta have faith kind of ease on into it. Just okay. keep those hands on that wheel. It's just a straight road, so we start easy here. Oh, no, don't answer that. No, I, I gotta... Don't answer that. this big fight my girlfriend. No, yeah, just just ignore it. Hello? Just, just yeah, pull no, over cool. here. Yeah. No, yeah, actually, you got the red light. Just, you ride. No, go right. Just keep your hands no, on the I, wheel. No, this is totally dangerous. Just chill out. No. I'm not talking to you. You don't need to chill out. Oh, take no, a right. Okay, no, just take a right, right? here. Let's just, we're yeah. done. We're done. Just, just pull up behind this, uh, this Lasab. Was that your house? Pull over here, stop! Can I have my phone back? No. Bibles and turn to Hebrews 11 and let's talk about what is faith. For those of you who are new uh, this morning, you're either a, a guest or you've been missing for a while, we are in the study of the book of Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews is one of the great books of the Bible. I mean, they're all great, of course, but uh, Hebrews is awesome. Uh, remember, Hebrews was written to whom? Look, we should take a quiz on this by now. Who was Hebrews written to? It was written to people who were Jews but are now Christians. But there are some in the group who, because of persecution, are thinking about going back. 
thinking about going back to Judaism. And the author of Hebrews, whoever it is, we don't know who it is. Many people speculate Paul, but we really don't know. Uh, The author of Hebrews is saying, go back to what? Go back to to what? Uh, Jesus is greater than anything that Judaism had to offer. Everything in the Old Covenant was a shadow, a picture, or type of the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And he says right at the first, in these last days, and everything from when Jesus came to when Jesus returns is considered the last days. In these last days, he has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Jesus is greater than anything. Jesus is greater than anything. And any problem you have, just put in the blank. You know the greater than symbol that we have in math? Jesus on one side, greater than blank. Anything you put in that blank, Jesus is greater than. Your health issues, your problems, your circumstances, your situations. So for nine and a half chapters, Hebrews 1 through 10, 16, or 17, the author of Hebrews articulates very specifically that Jesus is greater than the prophets, Jesus is greater than the angels, Jesus is greater than the tabernacle, Jesus is greater than the old priesthood, Jesus is greater than the law, Jesus is greater than because through his blood, Jesus made a way where we can come into the presence of God. And Jesus is there with us as our high priest. He's the way we get in, and he's there with us now. We've seen that for ten and a half chapters, nine and a half chapters. Then he changes right in the middle of chapter 10 uh, to begin to say to us, since Jesus is greater than, and since we have this way into Christ, God's presence, and since we have a great high priest, then let us. Now, here's what we're supposed to do. The practical part of Hebrews is the middle of chapter 10 to the very end. By practical, I mean versus the theological setup. Because of that, now here's what we do. Now, in all of this, we've been trying to battle legalism, right? We talked about that a lot last week. We don't want the let us statements then to become legalistic for us that we do these in order to get in God's presence. No, the reverse is true. Since we're in God's presence, since Jesus is there with us, let us then now be like this. Then we come to this great passage in Hebrews chapter 11, this chapter of faith. Now, as silly me, I thought I was going to cover the whole thing in one week. Um, But no, I'm going to give myself two whole weeks to cover Hebrews 11, though I could do a whole series of sermons just on Hebrews 11, uh, the great men of faith. Here's what I want to say to you. Let me see how much time I got. One of the things the author of Hebrews is going to make absolutely clear to us in this moment is that God now and always is a God who works through faith. Now, you may be saying, well, that's a great statement, Pastor Bart. What does that mean? It means God always works through faith. Now, I want to set up a theological premise, and then I'm going to look at the book of Hebrews because this is very important. Why does the author of Hebrews go back to Abraham, Enoch, Noah, all these people to talk about faith? 
Well, because he wants to make it clear, as Paul does in Romans 9, 10, and 11, that God has always been and always will be a God who works through faith. I know you're thinking I've hidden this hammer a little hard in recent days, but I'm a little passionate about it because I see this head of this, this, um, this theology continuing to creep in the, into the church that if we can just become more Jewish, then we can become better Christians. And it's driving me crazy. It's driving me crazy because God doesn't work through birthright. He works through faith. Has always, always will. Paul makes it clear that the true Jew, the true child of promise, is the one who, what? Is one of faith. It, it, it has always been through faith. So you have these different theologies working nowadays. You have this, this idea that, that God used to work through the Jews, this line, like he used to work through the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they were Jewish by birth, and then they failed because they couldn't follow God, so God cut them off, and instead he now substitutes the church. Um, he, he replaces the Jews with the church. That's called replacement theology. Or God's got a different plan for the Jews and a new plan for the Christians, and they're running along simultaneously, and eventually they'll kind of work their way out when Jesus returns again. And I'd like to say that neither of those is accurate. Uh, One is classical dispensationalism. For some of you, I'm speaking in tongues, but that it's okay. Some of it's classical dispensationalism. We have these two plans and two purposes going along. Another is pretty popular in the church replacement theology and neither of those is accurate because I believe there's only one stream and it's the stream of faith always has been always will be God worked through Abraham Paul says clearly in Romans 4 5 and 6 through faith he stands as an example of one who is faith why did God bless uh, Jacob and not Esau faith he was chosen but it was still through faith. God has always worked through faith. And what happened is when Jesus came, the faith picture changed because the shadow is now in front of us, the reality, and God's people of promise are those who now believe in Jesus as a result of faith. We've been grafted into the stream of faith, so to speak, but it always has been about faith. It's not about ritual. God doesn't sacrifices is not what he's looking for. He was looking for the right heart, the heart of faith. Always been about faith. And that's what this chapter is really articulating. Scott read at the beginning from Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, for it is by grace you have been saved. How? Through faith. And this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The word faith is used over 250 times in the New Testament alone. God saves us through faith. It's a gift of grace. Grace activates faith, which then activates the works that we were designed to do in the first place. We... Legalists work backwards. We do works so that we can get faith, so maybe we can get God's grace, right? It won't work. It's, it, it's a meaningless endeavor. 
But you start with grace, activating faith, which then activates works. We're on the right track. This passage this morning, verses 1 through 7 of chapter 11, I want to look at what is faith. The next week I want to look at the results of faith. I'll cover the rest of the chapter. But let's look at verses 1 through 7. I want to read them, and then we're going to take them apart, kind of looking at what is faith. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though he's dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. All right, let's look at some points based on kind of an introduction of these first couple of verses, and then the characters of um, Abel, Enoch, and Noah. All right, here we go. First point is this, faith deals with that which is unseen. Faith deals with that which is unseen. You know this, you've heard this probably all your lives, that now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. It says in um, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we live by faith, not by sight. Here's the problem. Most of us really have trouble living by the unseen. I mean, really, we place our trust in that which is seen, that which can be experienced, that which can be experimented. You know, we live in an age, people, and I I know you know this, we live in an age that if it's not verifiable, Meaning, if it can't be seen, if it can't be proven, then it must not be true. But in God's economy, it's flipped. Really, faith, the only way to please God, the way we operate, the way we work, is based on that which is unseen. If you can see it, it's not faith. Right? Come on, wake up, people. I know it's raining. It's kind of that dreary day. But if you can see it, it's not really faith. That's just experience. Faith deals with the things that are unseen. The things that are seen and around us, they are just really the temporary. Anything that is temporary is fading away. It's not real. What's real is what lasts forever. The permanent, the eternal, that's what's real. On September 11th, 2001, the date we all remember, there were artworks in the... um, Twin Towers. One of them was a, a cast of a famous statue by Auguste Rodin. Uh, it's the thinker. Uh, it, it was signed by the artist. It's, it was in the um, Canton Fitzgerald offices in the Twin Towers. By that afternoon, it was a pile of rubble along with $100 million worth of other famous artworks. 
Now they sit in some landfill outside of New York City. Things that we place great value in are, are really things that are just temporary. Your home, your car, your stuff that you give your lives to procure, those things are just temporary. What should we be pursuing? That which is eternal. That which is going to go with us throughout all eternity. And those things that go with us through eternity, based on faith, they are they're unseen. It's not only unseen, but it's based on hope, right? It's based on hope. Now, there's this, there's this issue with hope. hope. Hope is looking to the future, right? There's, there's something better, something going to happen in the future. Now, our confidence for this happening, this change of the future, what we hope for, is based on God and his promises so that it's certain. But to hope for something in the future means that I'm, there's some level of discontent with my present. Are, are you understanding me? In other words, a holy discontentment. Not a, not a discontentment like uh, nothing's ever right. Nothing, I'm just unhappy all the time. Not, not that kind of discontentment. Paul does say, I've learned whatever state I am to be content. But Paul, on the other hand, says, look, I am not content. I press forward for the prize where I'm being called heavenward in Christ Jesus. Hope is based, I I believe, on a holy discontentment that there is so much more than where we are. More people to come to know the Lord. More of God's kingdom being released. If we sit back and are forever content, I think we're more like, pets than we are people you know pets they're they're um they're content to lay around feed me walk me pet me i'm happy there's no discontentment for the future in pets by the way i i i got on this pet thing and i started reading different stuff do you know how much americans spend on their pets every year too much. Yes, $60 billion a year, Americans, we spend on our pets. Most of that's food. By the way, the cost for pet food's gone up because we're now giving our pets gluten-free, fat-free, organically grown. Um, I, I don't know about you. My dog used to eat grass. So, you know, I mean, he would... Um, I understand. We love our pets, and we spend a lot of money on our pets. Here's the part that um, I'm going to go off on. Last year, Americans spent $330 million on costumes for their pets at Halloween. I mean, we love to dress up our little doggies in these costumes. $330 million just on Halloween. I'm not... not Say Christmas. You know, there are whole stores dedicated to nothing but doggy clothing. Okay, I must be the only one this drives crazy. Last year, we gave $31 billion as a church to missions. 
Of that, 310 million goes toward reaching unreached people groups. Now, I understand the comparisons are a little whack because you've got all Americans versus the church, but still, when as a society more go, goes toward dressing our dogs for Halloween than reaching unreached people groups, something is screwed up. Why? Because we're content. We're content with our dogs. We're content with life. We don't really have this holy discontentment that says, faith drives me forward to reach every person with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus tells this parable about uh, a lady who's not getting justice. And so she hassles this unjust judge over and over and over again until finally he gives in. Now, it's a tough parable because we got an unjust judge who finally gives in, and Jesus is trying to teach us about um, importunity, about praying without giving up. And God is a just God, so it, the, the, the point he's trying to make us see is that I think we have this holy discontentment to pursue God, love God, in faith, hope for the future. And he closes the parable out says by saying, I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Faith. between There's a direct connection between p- prayer and hope and that which is unseen. Faith deals with that which is unseen with this hope confidence in God, holy discontentment for the future. Second point is this, faith is, um, excuse me, faith is based upon and comes through hearing the word of God, comes through hearing the word of God. It says in verse three, by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, the word of God. God spoke it, God said, let there be light, and there was light. So that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. He's continuing this unseen scene thing. He says, look, there was nothing. There was nothing. And then God said, let there be, and there was. Faith, faith comes by hearing the word of God. The reality of heaven is pulled down into the temporal life of earth by Really, the word of God. By God speaking it, God saying it. Listen, it's not really... Here's where I think word of faith gets off. Word of faith says, okay, here's what I do. I say it over and over again, and it makes it happen. No, God says it. I believe it. Then it happens. It happens. Faith comes by hearing and receiving and walking out the word of God. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Romans 10, 17 says, I'm getting terrible with the clicker here. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Now, I'm going to kind of skip over all the various things on the word, but remember there's word Uh, which is translated scripture, like in Timothy, where it says all scripture, the word of God, is active, living, it does all these great things. That's the scripture word, that's graphe, G-R-A-P-H-E. 
That's the Hebrew word for Scripture. And then there's the rhema word of God, the living, active, changing word of God that we have in our lives. Faith, you see, is not based upon human experience. It's based on God's commands. God commanded it, it happened. It based on the word of God. Your life is changed. You receive faith by hearing, receiving the word of God. Hebrews 11.4, a passage we all struggle with a little bit. It says, by faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commanded, commended as a righteous man, the word of God. He's commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though he is dead. One of the great <clears throat> questions of you biblical people, biblical scholars, is why did God accept Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's? I mean, for us, it seems so unjust, doesn't it? They both brought a sacrifice. They both brought it to God. Abel was a shepherd. He brought a sheep. Cain was a farmer. He brought turnips or whatever. He brought some sort of crop to God, and yet God rejected Cain's and accepted Abel's. Why? Well, a couple of points that the author of Hebrews is saying. One, it seems as if Abel offers his in faith and Cain doesn't. He just brings it out of duty or obligation or what he thought he was supposed to do. I would say, what about this as a possibility? Abel received the word that was given to his parents when they first sinned. That sin was going to be taken away by a bloody sacrifice. Now, God was speaking to them ultimately about the sacrifice of Christ. But he's saying to them, because of a bloody sacrifice, sin is going to be removed. So what does Abel do? He heard the word of God from his parents, probably delivered. He probably went around at the time, who knows. Here's the word of God, bloody sacrifice. He brings a bloody sacrifice in faith as a act of forgive my sins. Cain, on the other hand, he brings his offering as a means of showing off his work, of saying, look what I did. I grew these crops. Rather than, here's what I'm trying to point out as a possibility. Not only is faith at work, but there's an element of faith that says, I hear God, I do what God says. I want to come to God, but I want to come to him on my terms. I want to, I want to come to worship like I want to come to worship. I want to do what I want to do. Now, God, you know, it's a sacrifice. I'm still giving my time. I'm still doing it, but I'm coming, I'm coming on my terms versus your terms. Faith is hearing the word of God. And saying, God, I'm coming to you on your terms, not mine. God is a great God. Israelites, I know we're going through the whole Old Testament, so he does it in this chapter, so I figure, what the heck, we'll do it too. God, uh, the, the nation of Israel comes up to, what was that place they were told they were going to go? After they leave Egypt, they go through the desert and they come to the promised land. Why, why is it called the promised land? Because God promised it was their land. 
So they come up. They send the 12 spies over the river. Look at it. They come back. These people are giants. Big walled cities. This is horrible. We'll never be able to take this. I don't think we can do this on our own. Let's turn around. And two of them say, now look, this is the promised land. God promised it. See, when you walk by sight and don't receive the word of God, you look at your circumstances and then you look at you and you say, this can't be done. But when you look at your circumstances and hear the word of God and receive the word of God, then you say, God is a God of promise. I'm going to put my faith in the God of promise, not in what I can see. As long as you're dealing with what's seen, you're going you're gonna to take land that you could have taken any time. But if you listen to God and he says, go, and you step out in faith knowing that you're inadequate to do it, then you get to receive greater than blessings, the, the promises of God fulfilled. Now, I, again, I know that when um, there, there's an element within the church that's taken this teaching and gone way out of whack that says you can be rich and happy and famous, and we're going to see at the end of Hebrews, that is not the promise of God. You could end up beheaded. You could end up tortured as part of your faith. What I'm talking about is taking the kingdom of God to realms where the kingdom of God could not go. That's our promised land. That's what we're to be taking. In, in Galatians 3, verses 15 through 29, I'm not going to read that to you. Go read it, Galatians 3, 15 through 29. Paul talks, uses the word promise nine or ten times in this passage. And it's based on faith in Jesus Christ. And he says at the end of this, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. We talked about this not long ago, but the promise is the promise given to Abraham that God would make out of him a great and mighty nation. Who are the people of God? All of those who have always walked through faith. We are Abraham's heirs because Abraham walked by faith. We're the part of Abraham's seed. We are the people of promise, which means what? We walk in God's promises promises, by faith for the future. Third point. I should be getting more excited uh, because this is really good news. Why can we believe in promises of God? Because we have confidence in God. Our, 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 you know, the word of God is backed by God himself. You know, the word is the word because God backs it up. Our confidence is in him. And it's essential for the Christian life. <clears throat> Verses 5 and 6, I'm still going through Hebrews 11. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who did what? Pleased God. He pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Do you see the connect he's trying to make here with Enoch? He's saying this. Enoch was so favored by God 
that one day God and Enoch are out taking a walk and he, God just takes him home. Didn't experience death, straight into heaven because he pleased God so much. Why did he please God? Because he was a man of faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to. You get the connect here with Enoch? He, he had such confidence in God in the relationship that he had with God, that he pleased God. Habakkuk 2.4, which is quoted in Romans 1.17 and also quoted in Hebrews, says the just shall live by faith. That's the whole theme of the book of Romans. The just shall live by faith. Always has been, always will be about faith. Romans 14.23 says everything that does not come by faith is sin. I don't really have time to get off on this one, but wow. Look, if you're walking by faith, you're pleasing God. If you're not walking by faith, if you're walking merely by sight for all of your existence, I don't care how much time you spend at church, I don't care how much money you give to church. If you're not doing it in faith, what is it? Isn't that a horrible thing to think about? I could be giving my money, all my time to church, and it actually be sin. Why? Because it's not out of a place of faith. Seems a little harsh, doesn't it? You can come to God like he says come to him, or you can come to God like you want to come to him. We are a people of faith. Enoch is this interesting guy because he walks with God, and then he's no more. God took him away. We don't know anything else about Enoch. The the section in Genesis that mentions him is very, very short. Now, there's an apocryphal book that's attributed to Enoch. It's a bunch of prophecies. No one, you know, is it really Enoch's prophecy? It's really unknown. But at the same time, Enoch becomes a very popular character within Jewish literature. Why? Because he was a person of faith. And because he walked with God in relationship with him, he heard from him. Confidence in God. Just use that as kind of a definition to help you see. Without confidence in God, without faith, without confidence in God, it's impossible to please God. Faith, confidence is God. I've got these reversed, but confidence in God is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Here's the question you've got to answer this morning. This, where is your confidence? Where is your confidence? Look, I, I know um, you're like me. I mean, we're all in this boat together. It is so easy to let your confidence slip from God to stuff. How do I know if my confidence has slipped from God to stuff? Because when my stuff starts to run short, what happens to my confidence? My confidence starts to wane. You know, I, when, I, when I lay at bed at night, Think about resources or family or issues. Most often the enemy is not really helping me build up faith. I'm playing scenarios in my head. I'm thinking, what if I did this and did this and I traded this and refinanced this and did this and I can make it all work. Where's my confidence? It's in my ability to do stuff. 
I mean, we're all the same. We let our confidence lapse from being in God. No, I'm, I'm staying on the path. Here's what God says to do. I'm staying on it. What happens if I hit a, I'm in a train wreck, you know, and I'm confident enough of God. He can move me through the train wreck, right? At some point, we either have to walk by faith or we walk by our own confidence, our own strength, our own might. The author of Hebrews is making it clear. If you want to please God, you got to go by faith. It is the only way because everything else is, boy, it just seems so cut and dry and ugly, doesn't it? I mean, it just seems hard. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not by your works so that no one can boast. All right, with all that good news, let's look at the last point. It says, faith is deepened through the process of obedient action. Ah, you knew I was going to get to that faith without works is dead thing, didn't you? I mean, at some point, we're doing what God, if we are confident in God and we're walking with God, there's got to be some walking, right? There's got to be some movement. We're either pets laying around the house, letting our owner dress us up nice for Halloween, or we're walking with, we're walking with God through obedient action. The example here is Noah. Verse 7, by faith, Noah When warned about things not yet seen, Noah got the word of God, I'm going to send a flood. It's going to flood. So what did Noah do? In holy fear, he built an ark. Now, Noah could have received the word of God. He could have heard the word of God. He could believe the word of God. All the things that we at times say, that's all that's really necessary. But Noah stands in it as an example because he actually built a luxury liner in the middle of Kansas. I mean, really, 500 miles from the nearest ocean, as best we know, Noah builds an ark. Takes him, ah, it depends on who you know and read, 60 to 120 years to build the thing. Noah, what are you doing? Build an ark. You know, I mean, the ridicule he faced over and over and over and over again. By being obedient to God. His faith is deepened through obeying. Don't you think at like year 55 of hammering nails and building an ark, he's like, really, when is this going to come? Is there really? Probably when the animals started to show up two by two on their own, you know, just to come into the ark. Hey, look what's showing up. Maybe this is going to happen. Faith is deepened through obedient action. I mean, what Noah did was absurd. I mean, it was ludicrous. Sometimes God will call you to the absurd in order to move you forward in faith. When we started fullness, I I know this is ancient history now. We're so old. But when God, when we started fullness, you know, I was minister of music at another church. I really, I knew when I went there, I wasn't going to be there long. But I didn't think we'd start a church. Really, what I thought, I go help this church. Um, God called me here for a reason. It's going to be a launching pad for something else. But I thought like teaching, going, teaching in a college or university. You know, all my degrees are in music. I have a doctorate in music theory. 
I, I thought I would end up teaching in a college or university. And someday, who knows, God may open that door again when I'm 80 and music doesn't change all that much. So it's not like anything new has been created in music theory. So um, maybe one day I'll go, go back and teach. But at the time, I thought, well, I'll be here a year or two. I'll probably move to a bigger church, get more money, or I'll go teach somewhere. And then God started moving on our hearts to start fullness through some dreams and visions and confirmations of people I know and I love. And um, then my friends started hearing about it. I mean, like friends I'd gone to college with and university and worked with in the past, and they started calling me. I mean, you know, it's kind of like Job's friends a little bit, but they, they started calling me and say, what, well, you know, I, I, I hear you might be starting a church and that you're going to be the pastor. I mean, it was, it, the idea was absurd. You didn't know me then. I'm not much better now, but uh, it, was, it was really bad then. You know, like I said, I preached one sermon my whole life um, before we started fullness. It just, the whole idea was absurd. I had friends tell me, if you do this, you will burn every bridge. You'll never be able to go back into Baptist world. You'll never, because there weren't churches like Fullness 20 years ago. I mean, there weren't kind of more praise and worship, spirit-filled Baptist churches back 20 years ago. So the thought was, okay, first of all, you're going to try and become a pastor. That's crazy. Second, you're going to be a spirit-filled church. That's going to burn all your bridges uh, because you'll become one of them. Them. So you know what? We just said, you know what? We're one of them. We're going to be one of them. Um, and proudly be one of them. Look, when, but at, in the middle of all of it, you know, not once did I think it's, this, is, this is terrible, this is a bad idea. When faith hits you, there's such a confidence in God that you're like, I got no choice. I am moving forward. I am moving forward because my confidence is in him. I can't listen to the voices that are saying this is absurd now, some of you may be saying, wait a minute, what about the person who says something that's really just jacked, just totally crazy? You know what I mean? Like, don't they need to be pulled back in? Well, yeah, we've got all these things around us. I, con- I consulted with people I knew were also hearing from God. It wasn't like everybody in my world said, this is stupid. There were others who I trusted, and I called them and said, would you please make this a matter of prayer? We're thinking about this. What should we do? Now, sometimes you got just God and you, like Noah. He didn't have a lot of people he could go consult and help, but the body of Christ works differently now. All of this is to say, it, faith is deepened through obedient action. Faith is deepened when you say, I don't know, but I'm going to take the step. What happens when you take the step? Greater faith. Greater faith, greater faith. Walk in greater faith. David shows up. You know the story of David. Shepherd boy shows up at the battle scene. Um, he sees Goliath. <clears throat> he, you know, David is a big talker. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he mocks the armies of the living God? You know, the people around him say, well, who are you? <laughs> you know, you're just a shepherd boy. And Saul says, listen, dude, you're, not gonna, you're just a kid. This guy's an experienced soldier. Look at him. Look how big he is. He's going to kill you. Literally kill you. And David says what? 
God delivered me from the lion. God delivered me from the bear. David didn't just walk into this scene unknowing. His faith had been deepened through constantly walking with God. When you go to face the Goliaths in your life, if you haven't been walking by faith and you suddenly need it at that moment, listen, people, walk it out day by day. Walk out faith with your children. Amen? Some of you need some real faith uh, in raising of children. I understand. I've been there. I am there. Raising children. Walking out with your spouse. Walking it out in your workplace. Walking it out in every step around you. Be a person of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Everything that we don't do as a result of faith is sin. Faith without works, obedient action is dead. God calls us to be a people of faith. Faith is confidence in God. Here's my question to you today as I close. Where's your confidence? Where's your confidence? Listen, I'm, I know by being around some of you that you face really tough situations. Is my confidence in my boss? Is my confidence in the administration? Is the, my confidence here? Where, where is my confidence? My confidence is God. Being confident in God knows, I know that he works on my behalf. If I believe that God works on my behalf, then I act as if God is working on my behalf. Because faith ultimately is belief plus yourself. It's not just mental assent. It's you, confident in God, stepping out and doing what God has called you to do. All three of these guys, Abel, Enoch, Noah, the list is going to go on and on. They had belief, but they put themselves into it as well. Hebrews 1.7. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Bow your heads with me. Here's the first point. If you're here today and you are not a person of faith, in other words, you've never received Jesus as the one who forgives your sins and leads your life, then you're not really walking in faith. Receive him today. Receive him today. Well, how do I receive him? By grace and faith. It's the only way. There's not anything you do. You don't have to dance, you don't have to lift your hands, you don't have to give money, you don't have to go through this whole long class. You, by grace, in faith, receive what he did for you by his sacrifice. If that's you today, I'm going to pray in just a moment. I want to encourage you just to receive. More likely, there's a room full of people here that have at some point given themselves to Jesus Christ. But faith, Faith is both the entry point and the continual walk that we have. Some of you are facing some really tough things this week. I know you are. How are you facing them? What are you looking toward with your health or your job or your family or your marriage? 
Does he really turn your mourning into dancing? Sorrow into joy? It comes by faith. Whatever, just in your mind's eye right now, picture the circumstance or situation that you're facing and ask God in just to increase your faith for the days ahead. Lord, I thank you that you're a God who works through faith. Lord, I, I pray that our faith will not be in the seen because then it's not really faith at all. It's just experience. But instead, Lord, let faith rise up within us. Lord, I pray that we will not be content to just sit around and be comfortable, but instead we would have a holy discontentment that comes upon us to see the kingdom of God released in our circumstances, that we would have hope for the future, that's a confidence in you that moves us forward. Lord, I pray that you will find us obedient as we step out in faith. For those who need faith for healing, Lord, touch them. Faith for their families. Faith that you're going to work through their jobs and their circumstances. Lord, whatever the case may be, let faith rise up within us. Lord, we believe Help our unbelief. Let faith be increased because, Lord, we it's our heart's desire to please you. Lord God, we thank you. We bless you. We joy in you today. You are an awesome God. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.